Open your Bibles this morning to Hebrews, the 13th chapter. Page 1009 in the Blue Bible in front of you. Hebrews chapter 13. We're actually going to back up two verses to the last two verses in chapter 12. You follow along as I read. Hebrews 12.28 says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have, For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who have spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teaching, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Blessed are those who hear it and obey it. There's a problem that we encounter in the church regularly. Let me see this morning. Let's just check yourself to see if you fall into this mistake. Our biggest, our most important problem that we have is our personal problem where we are out of relationship with God. 
Each and every one of us is born into sin and we live out our life of sin. And when we come to faith in Christ, that is our way of accepting God's offer of salvation. That's our biggest problem is that we are separated from God. Bar none. You may think the fact you don't have money or you're having relationship problems, you might be having health problems. All of those things pale in comparison to our biggest problem, which is we are out of relationship with God if we don't have faith in Christ. But once we come to faith in Christ, once we have been made God's child, that is not to be the end of the story. God's work in us is not simply to end with us. And for too many people in the church, as long as they're saved, as long as they've committed their life to Christ, as long as they're on their way to heaven, well, I'm good to go. Problem solved. But we must not let that be the end of the story. Yes, the work of Jesus on the cross for us, His finished work has settled that for us, that we have a relationship with God and we are set. But God's work in us must not end with us. The message of the Bible again and again is that the work of God in us is then to flow into the lives of other people and it will affect our relationships. We cannot simply have a relationship with God that doesn't affect our relationship with other people. The greatest commandment that we love God above all else will always lead us to the second commandment, which is that we love others as ourselves. In the closing chapter of this letter, the writer begins to deal with real life relationship issues. What relationship issues does he address? Well, he addresses sex, money, and power. How's that for issues that we face today? But how we live out our faith in uh, with the lives of others, that's the question. How does our faith, our personal faith, affect our relationship with other people? That's the question. It's a great question, but we often fail to come up with a great answer to that question. We usually think about our relationships in terms of rules. We love rules. We hate to, ha- to follow rules, but we love having rules. It makes things very simple. You want to know how you're supposed to live in a relationship? Well, then just check all these rules. Are you doing these things? Are you not doing the things that you shouldn't be doing? And we follow, try to follow rules. We try to order our lives on a list of do's and don'ts. You want to have success, successful relationships? You want to deal with people the way God wants you to deal with? Then don't do these things. Or do these things. So we like to have long lists of rules that we can check off. Yep, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm not doing that. Must be what God wants. And if we're not careful, that's the way we'll read this last chapter of Hebrews as just a list of rules that we need to follow. Do these things or don't do these things, however it's appropriate. But to correctly understand what the writer is saying about our relationships, we need to look at 
Verse 28 in the previous chapter, in chapter 12. Read that with me. You follow along as I read it again. Verse 28, he says, Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving this kingdom. As we've gone through Hebrews week after week, we've seen how God has, through Christ, brought us into the kingdom. Through Jesus, we can have relationship with God. We've seen week after week what God has done for us. God has opened the door. Now, whether we go through the door or not, that's up to us. But God's opened the door. He made a way, not through the blood of bulls and goats, but through the blood of His own Son. In verse 28 of chapter 12, then, we are told, what is our response? Since God has done this for us, what is our response for what God has done? And that's what the therefore in verse 28 is all about. What should we do in response to what God has done? Show gratitude. You see that? Now, I don't think that's asking too much, do you? Considering that all that God has done for us, that we didn't deserve in Christ, I don't think it's too much for God to ask us to show gratitude for what He has done. Now, how do we show gratitude to God For what he has done for us through Christ. The second part of verse 28 in chapter 12. By offering acceptable worship. God has done this for us. He's offered us new new life, eternal life in Jesus Christ. Our response is to offer acceptable worship. Worship is the way that we show our devotion to God. It's our way of expressing our love to him. Worship cannot be a forced activity. If it's forced, if it's reluctant, it's not worship. Now, Trish and I are about to begin our annual worship of the Tigers. I probably shouldn't admit this, but it's awful. We go to a number of games during the season because, well, it's expected. That's what you're supposed to do. And during the games, we just sit there and watch other people as they cheer. Until, you know, the big words come up on the, on the scoreboards, make some noise. Okay. We stand up and go team. Get a hit. Come on. It's awful. Is that how worship goes? You have to be told to do it. You have to be forced to do it. Cabrera gets up and, you know, hits that home run. The whole stadium just as one jumps to their feet and starts cheering. 
You know why? Because somebody said, well, I guess we got to cheer. No. It's from the heart. You are worshiping. You are excited. There is joy. Not because it's expected. Not because you're told to do it. But because you really feel it. When we come in here, we are to express genuine worship. Express to God genuine love. Not because Marcus says, okay, everybody, stand up. All right, everybody clap now. Right? That's not worship. Worship is from the heart because you want to do it. And that's the first way that we show gratitude to God. Is by expressing worship here as the body of Christ. And that's what we do on Sunday mornings. Now, keep your finger there in chapter 12 and go back a couple of chapters to chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse 25. The writer says that we are not to neglect meeting together as the habit of some is, but encouraging one another and all the more so as you see the day Drawing near. Do not neglect to meet together. The writer is telling us how important it is for the body to gather together in worship. One of the most selfish things that you will ever hear someone say is when someone who professes to be a Christian says, but I don't need to go to church. How incredibly selfish to say, God has done this for me. I have eternal life because of Christ. But you know, I don't need to go and express that. That's a terrible thought to have. What are we going to say? I don't go to church because I don't need it. What about the other people at the church who need you? Jesus didn't die on the cross for himself. He died on the cross for us, for others. And for us to say, oh, I've received Christ. He's my master. He's my Lord. I'm following him all the way into selfishness and self-centeredness. Doesn't that sound ridiculous? Do you know why? Because it is ridiculous for someone to say they've been born again, but then to selfishly say, but I don't need to be part of the body. But church is not simply what we do. Church is who we are. We talk about going to church, meaning the building. We talk about going to church, meaning the service. But truly, we are the church. Churches are not buildings. Churches are people. We've made worship an individual thing. It's all about me and what I want and what I like. You'll hear people say, well, I can worship God anywhere. Is that true? Well, of course you can. God is everywhere. And if you want to worship God everywhere you are, God is there. You can worship God wherever you are. But did you know? Worship in the Bible is most often a corporate or a body, a group event. It's not an individual thing. And did you know this? 
You cannot worship God as part of the body all by yourself. Stick with me. You cannot worship God as part of the body all by yourself. Can you and should you worship God by yourself? Of course you should. As you open your Bible, as you daily pray and read His Word, you ought to worship by yourself. But when you make that the whole experience of your worship, we're missing out on what God expects from us as the body. The first way that we worship God is when we come together collectively to worship Him for what He's done for us in Christ. Second, though, it's not worship that we do together. There's also another way that we worship, and that is how we minister to each other. We worship together, but then we worship God by ministering to each other. We spend more time as the body of Christ dealing with things like we talked about last week. Remember? Temptation. The struggle against sin. Avoiding temptation and walking in holiness and righteousness before God is important. It's true. We should avoid sin. But we've made the bulk of Christian life about each of us individually trying to avoid sin. And that's about it. Just me dealing with me. And you'll hear people say, well, I've got enough of my own issues to deal with. I can't help anybody else. i got to deal with me. And there's a little bit of truth in that, that we need to make sure that we're taking care of our own issues. But what happens is we stay focused on our issues, don't we? And we never get around to helping other people with their problems, with their issues. We are to live out our faith in sacrificial worship as we minister to other people. Let me repeat that. We are to live out our faith in sacrificial worship as we minister to other people. In other words, we are to live our faith outwardly and not just inwardly. When we are so focused on getting sex, money, and power, we're being selfish. But as Christians, we're called to live for other people, not ourselves. And that's why you'll hear people say today, well, you got to look out for number one. You got to take care of yourself because if you don't take care of yourself, nobody else is going to do it. And those things sound good on a human level, on a worldly level. But Jesus never felt the need to tell people, you got to watch out for you. you got to take care of you. Because Jesus, when he was walking toward the cross, was not thinking about himself, was he? And if Jesus had the attitude that we have, he would have never made it to the cross. He was, well, i got to take care of me. Nobody else is going to take care of me. If I don't do it, it won't get done. As Christians, we are to live for others in community. And we do that by submitting ourselves to the needs of others, to the needs of the body. And not just focusing on what we want or what we need. Now this is important. Look around this room 
at all the people that are part of this body of Christ with you that you don't know. Look around this room to all the people that are in this body with you that you don't know. You see, God did not call us to be the body of Christ where a bunch of individuals come together at one time in one place and still remain individuals. Still remain focused on ourselves and not the body. Have you ever been part of a team, be it at home, be it at work? It's different people who've come together in the same place to do something, but everybody's got their own agenda. Everybody's doing their own thing, but hey, we're on the same team. No, you're not. And that's the problem in the church today. We're good at coming together, but we're still a bunch of individuals who come together. We don't submit our desires, our needs to the needs of the body. We're still each doing it on our own, by ourselves. We're a group, but a group of individuals. We keep our identity, we keep our focus on ourselves. Every man for himself is too much of the attitude that we have. If some individuals who are still living separately, individually, come together to become the body but we don't merge into the body, how is that what God wants? God doesn't look down and say, well, there's a bunch of individuals, they're all just looking after their own stuff, but hey, they're together on Sunday mornings. That's not what God wants. God wants us to become the body where we work together. We see this with churches all the time. Even churches who do come together, they still come together for their own stuff. You help me and I'll help you. And that's good on one level. But to be Christian, we need to be focusing on the world. We need to be reaching out to lost people. We can't just become this good old boys club. Just where we're all focused on our own little clique. And forgetting that the world outside is going to hell without Jesus Christ. And how do we live as community the way that God wants By living out this love relationship that we have with God and living out a love relationship with people in the church. Specifically, we do this by loving people and not stuff. Look at verse 5 in chapter 12. Excuse me, chapter 13. Verse 5 of Hebrews 13 says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Keep your life free from the love of money. He doesn't say it the way I wish he would have said it. I wish he would have said, don't love money too much. Don't let it get out of hand. He says we're to live free of the love of money. In other words, don't have it at all. Be content With what you have. Our problem today is our love of stuff is getting in the way of us loving people. Because we're so focused on getting more stuff and keeping the stuff that we've got. That we can't reach out and love the people that God has placed around us in our lives. 
Our love of stuff is getting in the way of us loving people because we are to love people and to use stuff. And yet how many of us are guilty of using people and loving stuff? We use people so that we can get more stuff. Why do we not give what we have? Because I want to keep it for me. If I give it to you, I'll have less for me. Look at verse 16, Hebrews 13. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. Now again, I want to remind you where we started. Don't begin to look at this as a list of rules. These are things that you check off. You've got to do them. No, if you're part of the body of Christ, if you are content with what you have, why wouldn't you give away what you've got to help others? If you need it, take it. Do not neglect to do good. Verse 2, he says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. That word strangers there is important. He says, don't, he, he could have said, don't neglect to show hospitality to the others in the church. He said, we do this to strangers. We help people who can't help us back. We help people who don't help us back. As part of our worship of God, we begin to focus on what can I do to help others? How do we live in the body of Christ? By sharing what we have, our time and our money, because we realize that people are more important than things. Jesus didn't die simply so we could hang on to our stuff, so we could stay focused on our own issues. Look at verse 1 in chapter 13. He says, let brotherly love continue. Now look around this room again. The people that God has placed in our life for us to love. We didn't pick each other. And I'm telling you, I wouldn't have picked you and you wouldn't have picked me. All right? We're here because God has brought us here. God is the one who's making the body out of us. God chose us. That makes us family. Right? When you have that one child, the child loves it. And then you add a brother, you add a si I didn't pick you. Where'd you come from? Right? I didn't get a vote in this thing. Okay? The same is true with the body of Christ. God brings us into this family. We don't get a vote in who God brings into his family. And if we got a vote, you might not have made it. Right? We live as the community of faith, as family. And what do we get? What happens when we come together as family and we have this love for one another? The first thing is, it keeps us on track. The body cannot force you to stay on track. And we try at times. When you see somebody drifting away, you see somebody heading off on the wrong path. Boy, we try to pull them back. We try to get them focused on what they're supposed to be doing. But if you are intent, if you are determined to do wrong, we can't stop you. That is your choice. 
But the body of Christ helps us, if you want it, to help you stay on track. Because the, the, the body of Christ keeps us focused on what's most important. And as we stay connected to the body, we are reminded again and again that people are more important than stuff. Second, not only does the church keep us on track, the church provides mutual love and support. We are never alone when we're part of community. We're never alone when we're part of the body of Christ. I had a man call me up just recently. He hasn't been in church in, in a couple of years. And he literally, he started crying about how lonely he was. How he didn't have anybody in his life. I'm like, I take the phone, I tap it. Are you listening to yourself? You're all alone because you have chosen to separate yourself from the body. If you were here, there'd be no way for you to honestly say that you're all alone. Go back to chapter 10 again real quick. Right there next to the verse we just looked at about not neglecting to assemble ourselves together. In verse 24 of chapter 10, it says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. That word stir up means provoke. Literally, the word means provoke. We know about how to provoke people, don't we? He says we are to provoke one another to good stuff, to love and to good works. Because we recognize in our life that we all need that poke once in a while, don't we? Now, I don't know about you, but any of you on Facebook, do you, do you wonder what the Facebook poke is all about? Have you ever been poked? I, I don't know what that's about. Okay, but we need a poke in the church. We need people to come up behind us and say, whoop, get moving. Because we can get complacent, we can get lazy, and we need people coming up behind us and giving us that poke. Come on, you can do better. And when we don't live in community, when we isolate ourselves from the community, we lose that opportunity to poke and to be poked. Because one reason why I don't like to poke people is, you dirty dogs poke back. But did you understand that's the way it's supposed to work? Right? If you walk by as I'm sitting there doing nothing and I poke you and say, you need to be doing more, you're going to look at me and say, really? And you're going to poke me right back and say, well, if I'm supposed to be doing it, you need to be doing it too. And we need that mutual accountability, don't we? We need the body of Christ to hold us accountable. There's a role that we play in encouraging one another in our relationships in the church. And that's what this whole series has been about. It's been about warnings, remember? You've been warned. Well, the role of the church is to keep those warnings in front of us. Don't drift away. Don't get complacent. Stay focused on Christ. Number three. The body helps us also to be more effective. There is no question that we work better as a team. We work better as a group, not when we're working alone. Now think about last week's sermon on sin. We talked about our need to avoid temptation and to live righteously. Righteously. 
Think about it this way. If you drift off into sin doing your own thing because that's what you want to do, what effect does that have on the body? How are you of any use to the body when you're off in sin? Remember last season with the Detroit Lions? And Sue made that incredibly stupid thing where he stomped on the quarterback's leg. And he ended up missing the next game. He let the team down. We're in the run toward the playoffs here, and you're sitting on the bench because of your stupid activity. And yet, how many of us in the church are guilty of going off into our own sin? I'm not hurting anybody but me. That's just a lie. You're also hurting the body of Christ that you're not being able to work in because you're off in sin. We need to work together to be more effective. We sang this morning about how God can count on us. We, God, I want you to know you can count on me. Really? We live out our faith in the context of church. And if the church cannot count on you, then God can't either. Because what does God want from us? To where we give individual, private devotion to Him apart from other people? No. The way that we show God that He can count on us is by being counted on in the church. Doing what we're supposed to here. Now think about your life. It's great that you're here this morning. We want you to be part of corporate worship on Sunday mornings. Can your church count on you though? Other than the fact that you're here sitting in worship, as important as that is, can your church count on you? Can the body of Christ, your brothers and sisters in this family, can they count on you? You see, our commitment to Christ, our devotion to God, is lived out in relationship to other people. We want to neatly separate and talk about how much we love God, but then have nothing to do with people in the church. But our commitment to Christ is to impact every relationship in our life. Look at verse 4, chapter 13. He says, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Our relationship with Christ doesn't just affect our relationships in the church. It affects our relationships at home. Think about it. Sometimes we are guilty of letting all the masks come off when we're home. And how we act at home is different than how we act in public. But our relationship with Christ will be, will lead us to be faithful in all of our relationships, especially at home to our spouses. Some people have come to believe that it's okay to be different at home than how we are at church. But let's put a finer point on this while we're here. 
If you want to see how well you're doing in your walk with Christ, look at how you're treating other people. I'm not asking you to judge if you're a nice person or not. Some of the nicest people that you'll ever meet are nice to your face, but then they'll stab you in the back when you're not looking. I'm not talking about are you a nice person. Keep your finger there in, in uh, Hebrews 13. Turn over to 1 John. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago. Actually, I think it was last week. 1 John chapter 3. We talked about this in the context of our struggle against sin. 1 John 3.10 says, By this it is evident who the children of God are, and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. We saw that last week. Whoever does not practice righteousness, does not live a holy life, is not of God. But then, he says, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Do you see how he brings together our righteousness in our individual life and also our love for each other in our corporate life? See, the problem is, is that we have settled for being a friendly church and not a loving church. But, but preacher, isn't being friendly part of loving? Of course it is. But if all we are is friendly, we've stopped short of what we're called to be. You see, because being nice doesn't really cost us anything. Being friendly doesn't require sacrifice. Here's the question to help clarify the issue. How do you treat any of us here differently than you treat anyone else in your life? For example, you're nice and you're friendly when you're here at church, as you should be. But aren't you nice and friendly with the people on your kid's soccer team? With the other people at work? Well, Pastor, I, I thought we were supposed to be nice everywhere. Yeah, we are. And isn't it good that we're consistently nice everywhere? Well, yeah. I'd rather have you be nice than not be nice. But do you see the point yet? Paul said in Galatians 6 that as we have opportunity, every time we have opportunity, he says we are to do good to everyone. And then he says, especially those who are of the household of faith. Especially, especially in the church, we are to treat each other special. However you treat other people, great you ought to be loving and nice out there. But in here, we should be especially nice. No, especially loving. More than just the regular nice guy that you are, we're called to be part of the body of Christ. And our church is called to rise above the level of just being nice. 
Some of you hear how I talk to you, and you're like, well, that's good. He's never nice to me, <laughs> right? It's not the point. We're not to be polite, to smile, to hold the door for somebody. That's being friendly. Love costs us something. I don't want us to be a nice church. I don't want us to be a friendly church. I want us to be a loving church. And if we're a loving church, we will be nice, we will be friendly, but I don't want us to settle for those things. Because we can be nice and friendly and not be the church that God wants us to be. We are to sacrifice our lives. We are to sacrifice our stuff, our time for people. And how many times do you hear people say, well, I don't have time to work at the church because I'm too busy working at work. And why are you working at work? For you. You work hour after hour after hour so that you can get more stuff for you. You don't have time for the body of Christ, which is where we are to live out our worship of God. You see, to go all the way back to the beginning... We show our gratitude to God for what He has done by how we love other people in the church. Stop and think about it. The writer is telling us, don't live at the level of the world. People in the world can be nice. We're to live at the level of Christ where we sacrifice who we are, what we have, where we give up our stuff where we give up our very life for people around us. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your head for just a moment. Look at your life this morning and how you've been living out your faith. Are you a nice person? Wonderful. But Jesus didn't call us to be nice. He called us to be loving. Now look at your life. How are you loving people in this church? Yeah, yeah, I get it. You're here on Sundays. You walk in, you sit in your place, you do your worship thing, and then you go home. That is not loving the people around you. That's being at the same place at the same time with others. Love does something. Love costs us something. Are you willing to sacrifice yourself so that you might become the church that God wants us to be? Or are you content to just continue to be a nice person?